the house churches has the majority of Chinese Christian gather and uh, really just want to follow the biblical teaching, does not want to be subject for the Chinese Communist Party's ideological control. So for the house church uh, to worship by status, uh, legally, they were always declared as illegal and subject for the most severe form of persecution. Bob Fu is one of the leading voices in the world for persecuted faith communities in China. Bob was born and raised in mainland China and was a student leader during the Tiananmen Square demonstrations for freedom and democracy back in 1989. As many of you know, this Saturday, Voice of the Martyrs is having an advanced conference August the 10th from 9 to 4 at Cross Point Baptist Church, 8850 U.S. Highway 51 in Millington, Tennessee. This is a free conference. You're encouraged to register at vomadvance.com. We have already had the privilege of having Gracia Burnham as one of our featured speakers on Mid-South Viewpoint. And I was asked if I would be willing to have Bob to come join us and continue to share about the work of Voice of the Martyrs and also about this conference on Saturday. So right now we have joining us via phone, Bob Fu. Bob, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Thank you for having me. You founded an organization called China Aid. We want to get into some details about that organization. First of all, how long have you been doing these conferences with Voice of the Martyrs? I think for the at least the past 10 years, yeah. You and your wife, Heidi, have been married for how long? Since 1993, 20-some-six years. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> us guys sometimes have a difficult time remembering those important dates. Bob, take us back, if you will, to your childhood days growing up. What do you remember about those early days in China? I was really born in a very poor family. I think the poverty was my first impression. My mother was a beggar when 1958, because of a terminal so-called Great Leap Forward policy, which caused the uh, three years great starvation that from 1958 to 1960, over at least 25 million to 40 million Chinese died. So my mother's ex-husband could not really afford food or accommodation or anything. So he begged my mother with their two children to leave their home. And uh, basically, my mother started her several years of begging on the road until she met with my father in my village. So I was born. So this poverty state your mom was living in was prior to your birth? That's right. Um, but even after I was born, I still remembered, I mean, not that uh, as extreme as when my mother time, uh, you know, with my elder brother and elder sister on the road begging food. At least uh, I can see, I could see kind of extreme poverty and experience that. Um, still remembered in 1981 when... I was about to go to high school, uh, junior high, then I had to walk like 20 miles from the school. But one day I was at home a little late and uh, going to be 
too dark for me to walk back to my school. So wanted to take a bus. The bus ticket is about equivalent of a U.S. dollar less than three cents. The whole family, you know, empty their pocket and look everywhere. Finally, with the help of our neighbor, we accumulated the Chinese 20 cents, equivalent for the U.S. 3 cents. Oh, my. Uh, to take a bus to back to school. So that is the kind of thing I remembered. Another thing I remembered was uh, the social injustice. And because of the poverty, so I was always bullied by my classmates and also kind of because of our sympathy to those uh, who were regarded as downcast because of their political and social status. So that was also related. So my mother, I remember one time she was dying because she was infected with lung disease after years of begging and you know eating dirt. My sister and I went to a, a local barefoot doctor's home begging the doctor to rescue our mom and the doctor never showed up and shot the door on our face. Then um, my sister had to walk a few miles to another village and found another doctor. And I was so desperate, so scared, walking back our home. And uh, really, I was too scared to see my uh, mother. I just stopped and nailed down behind a wheat bar in our yard. I think that was the first time I kind of uh, started my natural prayer to the heavenly grandpa that my mom always taught me. There is some supernatural heavenly grandpa who always take care of desperate people when you are in a desperate situation. So that was uh, some of the memory of my childhood. Well, Bob, when did you first hear about Jesus Christ and his offer for eternal life for you? In what situation were you in, and what did that mean to you? The first time I really learned and heard about the full gospel of Jesus Christ, when I was in college, um, a group of uh, American missionaries who were teaching English in our college English literature was my major in college. So I remembered uh, during Christmas time, our American teacher always tried to reenact Christmas story. Our classmates were asked to sit in a circle and part of the stories to read. Uh, later on, I found out uh, it's, it's part of the Gospel of Luke. But uh, our American teacher was smart and said, oh, this is part of uh, our tradition and the classic reading. And uh, so they made copies out of the Gospel book, Christmas story. I I did not believe in the Gospel, you know, at that time until uh, after the Tiananmen massacre, when the Chinese Communist Party sent military and cracked down the students' movement. And so I was one of the students' leaders in my university and led uh, our protest uh, and uh, went to Tiananmen Square in Beijing. After the crackdown, I was being targeted for, for political 
revenge by the Communist Party. And it was during that time I was introduced to read a, a copy of a, a biography of a Chinese pastor. Uh, that part of the uh, literature was uh, smuggled out by our American uh, Christian teachers from Hong Kong. It was really through that book for the first time I uh, was exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I made the commitment to follow Jesus since then. Well, Bob, was it that same time you were teaching English to Communist Party officials at the Beijing Administrative College? Was that while you were a student there? Well, actually, that was uh, after the Tiananmen students' uh, movement. After I became a Christian, then I graduated from graduate school uh, in Beijing and got a job teaching English to the Communist Party leaders in my daytime job. And I was already an underground church leader during the evening and the weekend, uh, ministering to the university students, setting up uh, underground church and Bible studies and even uh, underground uh, Bible kind of uh, seminary. So that was uh, the time, actually, which led to the arrest of my wife and I. Well, and I, I wanted to start there, if we could, and talk about Heidi, your wife. When did you first meet Heidi? Met with Heidi in 1987 when we entered into college, uh, actually, the same year and uh, in the same class in the English language department. Was Heidi raised in a home that followed Christ? She was uh, also raised in a traditional Chinese family, so she was the first Christian in her whole family. Was her experience by knowing you, is that how she came to know Christ? That's right. So I became the first Chinese follower of uh, Jesus College, and then um, I started sharing the gospel to Heidi, who was my girlfriend at the time. Of course, you know, she was my first natural mission target. (laughs) (laughs) Missionary dating. Yeah, missionary dating. And then after uh, one week, uh, I remembered she was laughing at me, uh, and unfortunately, only one week. And then she also uh, became a follower of Jesus. So that's how she became a Christian. Well, you mentioned a moment ago, while you were in school, starting the Bible studies and underground house church. When did you first take the position as the house church leader? Would you mind explaining to our listeners the house church in China and how it operates? Yeah, the house church literally means the uh, independent, non-registered, non-government controlled churches that they don't have a a building to worship. Unlike the government-sanctioned churches, the house churches has the majority of Chinese Christian gathered and uh, really just want to follow the biblical teaching, does not want to be subject for the Chinese Communist Party's ideological control. So for the house church uh, to worship, by status, uh, legally, they were always declared as illegal and subject for the most severe form of persecution. So sometimes, of course, you know, the government uh, depend on the government, local government leaders' attitude or how much influence by 
the uh, Christian believers or their family members uh, who might be Christians in different areas uh, in China, the house churches, the degree of persecution in the past were different. So in some areas, they were more tolerated than the others. Uh, of course, until this new president, Xi Jinping, took power five years ago. So this situation has changed dramatically. In 1996, you and Heidi were imprisoned for two months for illegal evangelism. During that time, how were you treated, Bob, while in prison? And did you have any contact with members from your church, your house church, or anyone else on the outside? Yeah, we were uh, arrested after um, we were discovered running an underground seminary with the help of some American church leaders, our friends. And we were charged with so-called illegal evangelism or illegal preaching. And the first several days and nights were the roughest. I was um, not allowed to sleep at all, being put in a small dark room, 24-hour, non-stop, kind of for interrogation by a group of interrogators who took turns. And I was uh, knocked down and really could not hold anymore. And they knocked my head and they uh, really abuses. And then after that most difficult time, I was sent to a prison cell. And Heidi was put in a, a prison cell uh, in the same prison in the women's section. So during that time, I actually felt the Lord gave me uh, a lot of opportunities to share the gospel. I felt actually more joyful staying over there during that two months. So you felt joyful during that time. So there wasn't a, a moment where you felt like God had forsaken you while you were in prison. I mean, really, at the first 24 hours, uh, it was a real dark. Of course, I felt very lonely and felt being isolated without knowing whether the outside world, you know, is aware of our rest. And, but really, God used the, uh, the interrogator's mouth. One day, I remembered my interrogator just sarcastically telling me, said, oh, the outside world are actually caring about you. So many, they said, so many are caring about you. So that one sentence really gave me the most comfort. Uh, from that time on, I knew there must be brothers and sisters all over the world uh, praying for me and knowing we were arrested. We were not isolated and left alone. Later on, of course, the interrogator also told me that your wife is more stubborn than you. Um, <laughs> so that gave me a, a further comfort, knowing that my wife was not betraying our church, you know, by releasing, revealing brothers and sisters' information. I can keep this information without sharing with the interrogators. Um, after that, in the prison cell, that was the first time, of course, I was exposed to the prison inmates and even the prison guards, how desperate and hungry they are for the gospel. So they're so eager to hear the good news. So that's where I really find uh, the real purpose God sent me there is to spread the gospel of Jesus. And uh, we essentially really built the prison church over there. 
And I certainly was uh, so joyful uh, every day by leading our prison choir. So we started singing, Give Thanks to the Lord every morning. Kind of hear that sound now, my dear brother, the beauty and the praise to God during that time. Uh, It was a year later in 1997 that you and Heidi fled to the United States as religious refugees. How were you able to flee? What were the circumstances that led you to leave China? It was really a miracle for us uh, to leave even our home uh, in Beijing and hiding in the countryside for a few months before the Lord miraculously opened the door and were able to escape from China and to Hong Kong. At that time, Hong Kong was still under the British rule. Three days before Hong Kong was turned over to China, we were accepted as uh, refugees to the United States. So many people, some even strangers we didn't know, and uh, some really, we believe, angels. We still could not uh, find them at the time of that uh, most uh, difficult uh, circumstances. God used them to supply all the need, um, the context, the finance, the the, the roadmap, um, and even use a, a policeman and his family kind of uh, help us hide in his home. So that was really the time uh, showing God's abundant grace covering his people, you know, like uh, God used a prostitute, Rehar, right? Yes. To protect uh, his uh, messengers. We experienced that throughout the whole ordeal. The confidence that we are serving a living God. He is always there uh, showing his love and faithfulness. Wow, Bob. My heart is just overwhelmed. Your story is so compelling. This was also what began the formation of China Aid, a work that you are leading to bring international attention to China's gross human rights violations and to promote religious freedom and rule of law in China. You created this organization in 2002. Time is a limit on this show, and I really want to talk more I do want to encourage our friends to go to your website and look at the work that you do through China Aid, particularly the various campaigns that you help to draw attention to. Xiaowang Church that was established in 93 that's uh, going under persecution right now by the government. Yeah. There is a... Uh, largest house church Beijing. There's a story behind that that's on your website. I don't think my Chinese is the best, but Gel Tushan. Gel Tushan. There is a story there that needs to be talked about, uh-huh. and it's on your website. Could you briefly give us a word on this dear brother's life? Yes. This dear brother, Gao Zhisong, he is called the conscience of China because it was the legal defense work for the persecuted faithful, you know, Christians and, and others as a human rights lawyer. He was selected, actually, ironically, as one of the 10 best lawyers in China in one year by the Chinese government, the Ministry of Justice, only after he starts taking up these cases to defend the Christians and others uh, in the court. He lost his law firm, and then he was kidnapped, and then he was tortured in the most inhuman way, then was later on sentenced to imprisonment and lost freedom for nearly 10 years before 
he was kidnapped again exactly two years ago, August 2017. So this month marked the two years enforced disappearance again for this Christian lawyer. He was nominated twice to the Nobel Peace Prize, and we uh, had to rescue his wife and two children 10 years ago. Uh, and um, now his wife and children are in the United States. So lawyer brother Gao Zhishong uh, is uh, still missing. Uh, nobody uh, in his family or legal representative um, has uh, been informed his whereabouts or whether he's alive or dead. And it is deplorable to even mention the things that he has been physically tortured, the way he has been tortured while in prison, and now he's missing. Gao Tushan is someone that we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for his family and that God would deliver, that God would get the glory. Ultimately, God gets the glory for this. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's an encouraging uh, part of the story. He, Before he was disappeared again, he and I had uh, quite a few long conversations. One of the conversations, uh, he told me his faith became, you know, kind of really strengthened uh, during the time of the most uh, severe torture. He felt the God, uh, you know, in his supernatural way, when he was being tortured, like with the electric shock batons, being put naked, and uh, the torturers tortured him uh, so severely. Uh, basically, the torturers, the two torturers, were were exhausted. Um, but Brother Gaudishon, uh actually, he said he fell asleep in a few seconds. And to the point, he said, he felt the Lord gave him supernatural uh, protection and ability to even separate the pain uh, between the mental and the physical. He could, on one hand, smell this, the burning of his skin, um, and uh, on the other hand, he mentally did not feel the pain anymore. He fell asleep. My. Interrogators kicked him uh, and woke him up and said, you know, how did you, you know, kind of uh, feel, fell asleep and while we were exhausted? And then he told him, he told them, he said, because the one uh, in my heart uh, is uh, uh, much uh, bigger um, than you, what you have. God, is, of course, you know, oh. uh, is much more powerful and bigger than any interrogators, uh, torturers. So that gave him, uh, he said, uh, the uh, really the, the very uh, strong faith uh, he felt um, in the midst of uh, the torture um, very supernaturally. Wow, Bob. Time is closing. It's actually passed, but we, I just want to say through, no, 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 we're going to have to do, I don't know if you're ever available to do another program, but I would love to talk to you further about more specifics about these stories and also about China Aid. But I want our listeners to know that they can engage your work, China Aid, because one of the ways that you encourage is through letter writing campaigns, not only letters written to our U.S. representatives, but Listeners can actually write letters to those that are in prison, suffering the way they are right now, and those letters actually get to the prisoners? Yeah, some, uh, most of the times, uh, I mean, the letters could arrive in the, to the hands of the prisoners, although, you know, it's not guaranteed. Sometimes 
but maybe even more importantly, that the letters get to the prison guards. Prison guards. They see that people really know. Yeah, we know we care. Yes. What important? That is so important, Bob. Bob, God bless you, my dear brother. I have just been so encouraged and blessed to have you on today's show. Now, you're going to be here in Millington this Saturday for Voice of the Martyrs Advanced Conference at Cross Point Baptist Church, 8850 Highway 51 in Millington. This is a free conference. There are multiple speakers. I mentioned Gracia Burnham that we spoke with uh, last week. Bob Fu, who we have on the phone right now with uh, China 8, will be here also speaking. And there's others that we don't have time to mention the whole list. But you can go to the website, vomadvance.com, vomadvance.com, to learn more. I encourage you, please, doors open at 8 a.m. for check-in and resource area. They'll have a break for lunch. There is no child care provided, but this is something that our Bot Radio Network listeners need to come to, the Voice of the Martyrs Advanced Conference this Saturday, August 10th, from 9 till 4 at Cross Point Baptist Church in Millington. Please go to vomadvance.com for more details. And, Bob, before we say goodbye, give us your web address. Yes, thank you. It's, our web address is uh, uh, www.chinaaid.org. It's the chinaaid.org. Yes, um, you're welcome to uh, log on, know more details about uh, the latest uh, stories of persecution, and also get encouraged to see you know, how the Lord, um, even in the midst of a persecution, revived His church. I was uh, sitting with the Vice President Pence yesterday at the White House for 40 some minutes with a few other church leaders uh, talking with him about, uh, yes, the persecution there uh, is uh, more, uh, is uh, the worst in 40 years, uh, you know, last year. At the same time, you know, God revived his church, uh, make Chinese church uh, really the, uh, I think, uh, destined to become the largest Christianized nation um, in a few years. So that is, uh, I think, uh, the living God is doing in China. God bless you, Bob Fu, my dear brother. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom, for those suffering for their faith in China. And God bless you through the work of China Aid. Thanks for joining Bot Radio today. Thank you for having me. Lord bless you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.